So, uh, sorry, I, I was helping move chairs into kids' rooms because our kids' area is packed. Praise God, that's pretty awesome. Uh, we can definitely praise that. We are starting a new series today. We're going to be looking at Jesus. Jesus was the promised one. He was prophesied about time and time again in the Old Testament. And we see in the New Testament that the majority of those have come true. Some of those are yet to have come true, but we'll see that they will based on the character of God and who God is. We're going to be in two different areas today. Just briefly, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 1. Uh, they cross-reference each other. Isaiah chapter 7 is where the prophecy was made. Where it comes to fruition is Matthew 1. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about promise one. And, and Jesus was, as we'll see, was, was promised by God to the Israelites and even promised more so that he would come as, and be born of a virgin, which is what we're going to look at today. Now, this is somewhat related, sort of-ish, just listen. <laughs> when I was in eighth grade, they had this like really famous program at Reed, and I say famous, it was famous among the kids. All the kids knew about it. Nobody could like, just couldn't wait to get to eighth grade, because what happened is, every year, the eighth grade social studies teacher would give every student a mock $200, and with that $200, we were responsible for buying stock of our choice. We'd get in the newspaper, we'd find the stock prices, and we'd purchase stock. And you followed that stock all throughout the year, and it taught you about the stock market and how to buy and trade and sell. And, and you could do that throughout the year and, and try to uh, increase your funds. And by the end of the year, whatever profit you made, you actually got to buy, get this, real things with it. So he had this store at the end of the year, and there would be all kinds of cool stuff, like kids were buying Xboxes and PlayStation 2s, and there were giant Nerf guns and iPods when iPods were, like, just coming out and the coolest thing ever. Uh, and, like, not just any iPod, but, like, the video iPod, which is, whoo, you know what I'm saying? Awesome stuff. Even Zunes. Zunes were super popular at the time. Everybody's like, what's a Zune? Exactly. But it was like Microsoft's attempt at the iPod. But I'm telling you, there were all sorts of things. And I mean, it was just awesome. And, and you got this stuff free based on the profit that you made throughout the year. And so early on, I'm going through and I'm, man, I'm into this because I'm ready to buy a PlayStation or an Xbox. Like I'm getting the big stuff. And so I'm like not one of those kids that just goes and picks. I'm doing research. Like I spent more effort in that project than I had at any project up to that point in my school career and maybe since. Uh, but I'm doing all this research and I'm looking up things and I find this tech startup that looks really promising, right? Tech was like, tech is where it's going to be. So I find this tech startup and the price is like $12 a share and it's going to be great, right? So $12 a share and I put all my money into it. And guys, I'm not kidding about this. I got super lucky. Halfway through the year, this tech startup gets this government contract. This is not a lie. And it goes from like $12 a share to like over 1000 a share. And I'm telling you, my pro like, it was, I was telling, I'm like, listen, you're going to have to have a separate room for everybody else because I'll just take, I'm taking all the things. Like, I'm going to have all the things. I'm going to buy it all. It's all going to be mine. This is going to be great. And I was pumped. And other kids were getting pumped. They didn't make as much money as me. They were like, I'm going to get some silly putty in this little egg thing. And I'm like, yeah, you keep your silly putty. I'm going to get an Xbox and a PlayStation and shoot you with a Nerf gun as you walk by. I was so pumped about it. Well, about two weeks, about two weeks before we're supposed to do this, we'll get to go to the store. We were informed by our teacher that the funding fell through. And not only is there no Xbox, not only is there no PlayStation, not only is there no Nerf gun, there's nothing. Like, we get nothing. And so I'm like, huh. And he's like, but you all can be confident that you gained a whole lot of knowledge. And I'm like, you can take your knowledge, buddy. And yeah, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that now or here, but I was not happy about it. Uh, it was not a good thing. Um, and that kind of crushed us. It crushed a lot of us. Like a lot of kids 
And it wasn't quite at the end of the year that it happened. It was like third, fourth quarter. A lot of kids shut down. Like it was the worst thing that could have happened for that teacher. Like fourth quarter on, he got like zero work. You're not going to give us what you told you were going to give us? We're not giving you anything. Like we're not doing it. Now I still had to have my A, so of course I turned everything in. But I did it with anger. I slammed it on the desk. I put it in the tray. I was done with it. It was good. But I don't like you right now. Uh, The thing is, broken promises are heartbreaking. They're absolutely heartbreaking. But the thing that we can know about God and the thing that we can know about Jesus is when the God makes a promise, those promises are kept. In Isaiah chapter 7, verses 14, it says that, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now in this part of Isaiah, like much of the Old Testament, the Israelites are facing some severe opposition. And they are not very uh, confident in the fact that God has their back. And so they ask God for this sign. They're like, God, give us a sign that you're still with us. And this is when he takes the time to promise them the Messiah. To promise them the Messiah. Now the authorship of Isaiah is dated between 740 to 680 B.C. Okay? 740 to 680 B.C. The truth is that these events probably happened earlier than that. But 740 to 680 B.C. is when Isaiah was written. Christ was born 6 to 4 B.C., so for those of you that thought B.C. meant before Christ, Christ was born before Christ, doesn't really mean that. But just saying, we're learning stuff. But that's a gap of over 670 years. 670 years, God, it took God to deliver his promise. Now, listen, was it in God's time? Yes, it was. Was it exactly how God said it would be? Yes, it was. Did God keep his promise? Yes, he did. Did those people that he promised get to necessarily see it? No, they didn't. I think that so often we, we expect God to have a promise for us and to hold it and it's going to happen like now. Like I feel like God promised me this so we sleep next day. It's like, God, where is it? Like, God, where is it? And if it doesn't come, we get discouraged. We get mad at God. We, we treat God like I taught my teacher. Maybe we still do what we're supposed to do, but we do it angrily. Like, we're like God, I'm going to do what you said, but you have, me, you have a promise that you promised me and I haven't got it yet. And so I'm waiting on it. I'm not happy about it. I feel like I'm Kevin Hart right now. I need to slow down. Sorry, just saying. Uh, but, <laughs> ADD, squirrel. Uh, God keeps his promises to us. God keeps his promises to us. It took all this time for God to keep his promise for these people. Now, the time frame may not always match up with what we think it should be, and we don't always get to see the results of the promise that, that we think uh, we should see or when we will see it. But the thing is, if God says it will happen, then it will happen. If God says it will happen, then it will happen. And we see this time and time again in Scripture. In Joshua 21.45, it says that not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Jeremiah 1.12, the Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. See, it's not just that God will keep his promise. God is keeping an eye on the fact that he made a promise to you, and he's going to see that it comes to happen to the very end. Philippians 1.6, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, and the promise that God made to the Israelites in Isaiah came to fruition over 670 years later. But it came to fruition. If God makes a promise to you, God will keep that promise. And you should be confident in that. Because time and time again, we see that God is the God who delivers on what he says will happen. Second thing we learn from this story, that Jesus was the promised one and he came in the promised way. 
We'll talk about why that's important. Jesus was the promised one, and he came in the promised way. Matthew 1, uh, verses 20 through 24. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God doesn't just do what he says he will do, but he does it how he says he will do it. See, the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin was extremely important. God keeps his promises to the highest degree. The highest degree. Now, let's think about this. Let's think about this. Why must it be so important that Jesus was born of a virgin? Okay, first and foremost, God said it was going to be that way. So for Jesus to be Jesus, he would have had to be born of a virgin. His mother would have had to been a virgin at the time of conception. Secondly, there's a whole lot of doctrinal protection here. Okay? whole lot of doctrinal protection here that's taking place. If Christ wasn't born of a virgin, it nullifies Scripture. Not just a little bit of it, all of it. When does it stop? See, if Christ wasn't born of a virgin, then how can we believe of the story of the garden? How's that true? What about Noah's Ark? What about the parting of the Red Sea and every other thing that happened for the Israelites during the Exodus? What about Jesus walking on water? What about Jesus being the Messiah? What about Jesus' resurrection? Where does it stop? The fact of the matter, it it doesn't. You see, Scripture is either inerrant, meaning that it's perfect, meaning it does not have error, or it can't be trusted. And if it can't be trusted, then we don't get to pick and choose the parts that we say that's okay, but that's not. Well, I agree with this, but I don't agree with that. So I'll hold to this, but I won't hold to that. Scripture is either 100% without error and perfect to teach us and to guide us and to lead us, or it's not. And so if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then everything else that we're promised thereafter, we can pretty much say doesn't hold. Where's the worth in it? See, here's the thing. Above all of that, above all of that, Christ's virgin birth protects grace. Christ's virgin birth protects grace, and this is why I say that. Now, the fact that Christ was born of a virgin was a magnificent, wonderful, holy act that could only be brought about from God. Okay, the magnificence of the virgin birth is that it is a completely divine act. It is the completely divine act of God from which the beginnings of grace was obtained. If Christ was born by human means, then his death has no grace for us. If Christ was born by human means, then his death on a cross is just that, a death on a cross. And he died. And there's no salvation from our sins, and there's no grace, and there's no resurrection to raise us back up. We lose it all. We lose it all. Christ was born in a way that was so magnificent, that was so otherworldly, that it allowed for us to stake claim to the fact that we could be born again and that we can experience grace. The virgin birth means that you can be reborn. Before we look at that, 1 Kings 8.56 says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he had promised. Not one word has failed all of his good promise which he promised through Moses, his servant. Isaiah 14, 27. 
For the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart Him? His hand stretched out, who can turn it back? Simply saying, when God says something will happen, who can change that? No one but God. And so if God makes a promise to you, that promise will take place. That promise will take place. Because God keeps His word. Again, the virgin birth means that you can be reborn. John chapter 3, 1-10, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless you are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives the birth to the flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born with the Spirit. See, it's a bold claim for somebody to make that you can be born again. But not so bold for somebody who was born of a virgin. Not so bold of somebody who was conceived where no act of conception took place. The virgin birth solidifies the fact that we can be born of magnificent, extreme, godly means in a way that we quite don't understand. And do we go back in our mother's womb? No. But when we experience Christ, when we put our faith and we put our trust in Christ, we are reborn, we are made new creatures. All of that begins with the virgin birth. All of that begins with the virgin birth. The truth of the matter is that Jesus Christ is the chosen one. If you haven't heard that before, I'm going to tell you this today, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the one that is promised by God, which means that he has the power to forgive all of your sins, which means that every wrong thing that you have done, if you put your faith in him, can be wiped away. It means that all the record of wrongs that somebody may hold against you no longer stands, no longer has worth, because Christ says, I'm going to take that over. And all it takes is us putting our faith in him. Christ entered this world in a divine manner for a divine purpose. Ultimately, the virgin birth solidifies the fact that we can be saved through Christ's act of dying on a cross, of sacrificing himself, and saying, you are worth my death. But Christ had to be born perfect, to be blameless, to be the spotless lamb, to be the ultimate sacrifice that could cover all those sins. And if there is no virgin birth, there is no salvation. It just does not happen. We can be born again by putting our belief in Him. We can be born again by putting our belief in Him. And I wonder how many of us really understand what that means. Really understand what that means. I did a word study, which is like the Bible geek way of saying I looked at the original Greek and Hebrew and broke everything down and wanted to really look at exactly what was being said because we look at the English and yeah, it says one thing, but the Greek says it in a way that has a, a bigger meaning. Like their language had so much more depth than ours. So when you break these words down, when it talks about being born again, rebirth means new life, but it means so much more than that. You see, being born again as it's written in this scripture is written in the aorist passive tense. And you say, what does that mean? I'm going to tell you. It means that in an instant... 
Change happens to you. In an instant, the moment we put our faith in God, in that very instant, change happens. We are born again. We are new creatures. It takes nothing else other than us confessing our sins to God, saying that I believe that Christ is your son, that he died on a cross to save me, to wipe away all the sin in my life, and in an instant, that debt is gone. Where else do we see that? Where else do we see that? Just by agreeing. Like, you can't go to the bank and say, I agree that you could wipe my debt away. And they're like, you're right. It's gone. Right? Be pretty cool, but it doesn't happen. There's nowhere else in society. There's nowhere else in history. There's nowhere else in the world where someone can take all of the debt held against you and wipe it away in an instant. In an instant, we are reborn. In an instant, we experience new birth. Now, the word for rebirth is gananeo, okay? You don't care about that, I understand. But what it denotes is important. See, not only does it mean that we are reborn, but it denotes a radical change in one's personality. Every time that word is used in history and in Scripture, it's talking about a radical change in personality. So not only are we saved in an instant, not only in a very second are all of our wrongs wiped away, but in an instant... God plants a seed within us that says, I need change. In an instant, God plants a seed within us that says, what I'm doing now just is not working out. And we see radical change in our personality. If you are someone in life who says that I have experienced Christ, but you can say to yourself, there's been no change in the way that I act, in the way that I think, in the way that I behave, in the way that I treat others, you need to rethink on whether or not you know God. I will be that bold as to say that. Because in an instant, God will change everything. God will change everything. And that only happens through Christ. It's not up there, but you know the verse, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In an instant, by putting our faith in Christ, we can be forgiven. I'm going to say instant one more time, instant. Because I want you to know that that is available to each and every person here. But not only that, that is available to each and every person that we come in contact with. And if you have experienced that instantly changing grace that only Jesus can provide, then it's your duty to share that with other people. And it's your duty to proclaim and to hold fast to the claims of the Bible and to understand that as Christians we must back up the fact that Christ was born of a virgin. And we must see the importance of that, understanding that it not only solidifies grace for us, but that it, it keeps the rest of the Bible in line. And it's, it means that we can trust the rest of it. And if we don't put our faith in each and every act that the Scripture says is true, then what worth does it have? What worth does it have? I was gifted a, a book by a, a pastor in um, what I will say, describe as more of a uh, left-leaning denomination, maybe. And the title of the book is this. It's uh, Taking the Scripture Seriously but Not Literally. Uh, I did not read the book, just in case you were wondering. Because it is my belief 
It is my ultimate belief that Scripture is God's Word, that it is perfect and that it is true and that it is meant to be seen as without error. You may not like everything that you read in it. You may not understand everything that it says to you. But God is perfect. Christ is perfect. And the way that he chose to show himself to us is perfect. And he perfectly delivered his son Jesus through the birth of a virgin to start the process of saving all mankind. And it's available to each and every one of us. In an instant, you're going to remember that. God can change you. He can reroute your entire life. He can change the way you think. He can change the way you act. And he can change your entire outlook on your day-to-day. Will you put your faith in him? And will you trust in him daily? Will you lean into God when things get tough? Will you stay with God when things are good? Will you understand that God is the all in all? He is our everything. And he was strong enough and amazing enough and omnipotent enough to deliver salvation in a way that only he could. And he did it for you. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the fact that you are all-knowing and you are all-powerful. I thank you for the fact that you can do the miraculous, that you can literally change our whole lives in an instant. And God, we can believe in such things as you being able to forgive us of our sins, of us not having to experience death, but having a new life and, and getting to experience the thing that you call heaven and getting to see all the miraculous things that can take place on this earth, and we can put our faith and believe in that. And it, it didn't all start with Christ's virgin birth, but God, it, it was so solidified by it. And I just pray, Lord, that we see who you are today, and we see the magnificence of what it is that you have done for us. And you allow that to strengthen us and make us bold and keep us true to our faith and strong in our walk with you that even when things have a good outlook, even when we are confused by what's happening to us in our lives, God, that we can trust your promise that you are for us, not against us. And we can trust your promise that you will take care of us and provide for all of our needs. Help us to be people of faith who keep our belief strong in you no matter what happens, but also who share our faith in you no matter what happens. Help us to celebrate the magnificence of who you are. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.